Hello and welcome to the Eyeballs podcast number five with the usual suspects, Matt Darkin, Lynn Hester and myself, Jerry Gilbert. Today we're going to talk about art, well at least to start with, and to help us with that discussion we have been reading an article from The Guardian, The Art of Making Something Out of Nothing. This is about an exhibition the Hayward Gallery in London are putting on, and it concerns invisible art. So we thought, as blind people, it might be an interesting thing to explore. From the article, um, it seems that all the invisible art is actually still visual, because there's nothing to touch. So if you can't see or you blindfolded yourself and you went to this exhibition, Mm. um, it's not like it's invisible because it's all done by touch or something like that. There is actually nothing there. So you're still not seeing anything. Um, So although it's called invisible, it's not. It is visible. Because there's an empty plinth where you've got an empty plinth. You have to see that plinth. No, it's an empty plinth. Well, you, yeah, or know about it. Yeah. So I suppose you could, in theory, experience some of the exhibits at this particular exhibition. Yeah, I guess you could go without going there. And if they've got blank canvases, <laughs> but with, you know, as apparently they have, they've got blank canvases on the walls, but with titles. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's quite. It's in, if somebody was walking through the exhibition with you and they said, oh, what you've got here is that, I suppose that's quite interesting. But it is actually, even though it's invisible, it's still entirely visual. A bit like the King's New Clothes, isn't it? It'd be like lots of people rushing to go and see an exhibition that isn't really there, sort of thing, and saying it's wonderful or whatever. Well, the Emperor's New Clothes, oh, the or the King's. King's. Sorry, yeah. it's the King Emperor's. and the Emperor's. Because the King's in the all together, isn't he? In the, yeah. Uh... <laughs> but everyone's told yeah. that it's. Yeah, this wonderful suit that the Emperor puts on does not exist. Part of art is the, the idea, isn't it, rather mm. than the actuality. And you can have wonderful paintings or sculptures or things which you can touch, and if you can see, you can look at, and you know what they are, and you know what they're meant to represent. Mm. But lots of art is abstract, and... You, you're exploring in your head the idea of, of what this is and why something's attractive and why something is repellent to, to you is is part of the experience of, of the art, I suppose. Mm. I think having an, an invisible art exhibition does definitely fall into the category of art. You know, you know how some things people say, that's not art. I think that this mm. is art. But I just noticed that, you know, though it's called the Invisible Art Exhibition, or whatever it was called, Making Something Out of Nothing, well, there is actually something there which is visual. I, th- I heard a good story once, you know, the guy, he visits a um, modern art exhibition and he, you know, spends a few hours looking around and, and he thinks, oh, you know, it's better time to go home. And as he's walking home, he realises he can't find his wallet. And he's looking and he says, oh, I can't believe it, I can't find my wallet. I wonder where it could be. And he sort of retraces his steps. 
things away. I must, I must have dropped it in the modern art uh, gallery. So he goes back in there, and there's this big crowd of people all gathered around, you know, looking at the ground. And he kind of gets through the crowd and, and realizes that they're all looking at this wallet on the ground, going, <laughs> I wonder what it means, isn't it amazing? I mean, there's always been a, a, a thing, a fuss about piles of bricks, isn't there? And, yeah. and these sorts of art. Um, Tracy Emin's unmade bed. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, think, I think it's something like, you know, an unmade bed, is, is, if, that, if somebody calls that art, then that means everything is art. Absolutely everything is art, I'd say, in that case. I suppose she's had the chutzpah to say it's art, to label it, to actually put this bed yeah. and call it an artwork. But if it's accepted as art as much as for it to be in an art gallery and to be making loads and loads of money, to me personally, that then means that everything is art. Well, I suppose that's the, the thing of it. You know, you, you, you take from it what you want and it's partly the, the fact that people do it yeah. that makes it. I suppose it's... That kind of art is, is highlighting something, isn't it? You know, it's something that everybody would recognise, like an mm. unmade bed or whatever, and yeah. just highlighting yeah. it and saying, you know, well, take it apart and mm. in your head and look at it. Now that your your vision is at a level where you're you're not able to look at a sculpture from a distance and see what it is, do you have? thoughts about art in your, you know, in, in terms of what things look like. So, for example, if there is a piece of sculpture in a park and you know about it, someone's told you about it, do you imagine what it looks like? I do. Would you bother? Yeah, I think if somebody says to me, you know, there's a sculpture in that corner that you walk past every day, I do try and imagine it, yeah. But only as much as if they say, there's a big advert on that wall next to it for, for Coca-Cola. Yeah. I would try and imagine that as well. Yeah, yeah. But then it's not really trying to imagine, it's just like an instant picture, just goes ding, you know. What about that, you, Lynn? Are you a, a person who, what do you think about it? I mean, No, I don't think I can imagine things unless I've actually touched them and got an idea of what they're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I do a bit conjure up what I think something may look like from from a description. Mm. I think that if there's somewhere where you go every day, I think one of the reasons of getting a picture in your head of the stuff that's around you is just so that you have more of an idea of, of where you are and where you're going and recognising that this is this route. Even though you're not seeing it, you're still recognising that that bit there, you know, that corner there is where that statue is that apparently looks like a something. Yeah, you know. a stone helicopter or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Are you content with somebody describing art to you as blind people? Or do you get a lot more contentment and satisfaction from feeling the art? Personally, it would all depend on what it was. Well, I think if, that's right. If somebody said, oh, there's a fantastic sculpture of a great white shark, mm. I'd really, really like to go and touch that rather than just imagine it. Mm. Mm. But and if it was of, you know, a bouquet of roses, mm. I'd 
quite happy you think oh it must have been quite difficult to make and probably not want to bother touching it you know? mm. I was thinking about that because in, in Cambridge at the moment there's this exhibition of China isn't there and there's, somebody was telling me about this exhibition a couple of days ago um, and about how a lot of the exhibits are from 2000 BC and it's like people had everything buried with them so mm including their servants were buried alive with them because they needed them in the afterlife well it sounds quite fascinating because like there was all these jade suits they were telling me that they were buried in that were held together with gold thread and this sort of thing makes me really frustrated because i sort of would like quite like to have a feel of something that was 2000 Hmm. bc but i haven't actually been there to ask but I'm pretty sure the answer would be no, there is no way that they would let me touch that. Well, you do get sometimes frustrations in life, don't you? Something where you think, you know, I would actually like to do that, and I am being prevented because I can't see it. Well, Um, I think that frustrates me because when it's an exhibition and they, you know, they say we're preserving these for everybody to enjoy, but we're not quite everybody. No. But if something has survived, you know, like Stonehenge 5,000 years... I think me touching it isn't going to knock it down, is it, really? So I think with art, I'm generally happy with some kind of description. But some things I think, yeah, it would be really cool to get a good old feel of that. Don't forget that there are links on the website to the items and articles that we talk about. So you can go and check those out. The website address is www camsite.org.uk forward slash category forward slash podcast and campsite is spelt c-a-m-s-i-g-h-t moving on to one of the other things which we thought we would talk about is what certain buildings look like I've in the past used models of things so I can get an idea Big Ben. I didn't really know what it looked like. I couldn't remember. Probably have seen it. So when you felt the model of Big Ben, hmm. did you afterwards, if you've been to, to Big Ben, can you kind of sense the size of it and sort of think to yourself, well, you know, get a fairly accurate picture in your mind of what it may look like? I think I can get an accurate picture of its proportions and its shape. Yeah. Which is all you need, really. Putting it into the context that it's so much bigger. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I can kind of do that. Hmm. But it is interesting to know what shapes things are. I suppose you can build composite images up in your head. So someone will say, well, it looks a bit like something that you have seen. Uh, but not quite, and there's a, you know, it's got a round bit on one end and a square bit on the other and all this kind of business. So you can get that sort of idea. But to actually know what the shape of something is sometimes quite difficult, I think. Another way of doing it is, if you're interested in knowing what shape something was, Hmm. it's comparing it, isn't it, which people do anyway. Oh, yeah, that that building looks looks like... They're even named after that kind of thing, aren't they? Hmm. Like the gherkin in London because it looks like a gherkin yeah. the shard because it looks like a shard are they buildings you have seen that the gherkin for example the gherkin 
was pre-sight loss, so yes. The shard post-sight loss, so no. Mm. Uh, Big Ben and yeah, you will. that kind of stuff, yeah. Do um, something like the, how would you describe the Eiffel Tower? An upside yeah, down um, <laughs> golf tee? Blackpool Tower on the, the Eiffel Tower. They have things which are compared. We look like yeah. each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, not that I've held Blackpool Tower in my hands in its entirety, <laughs> but I have a, a model of both the Eiffel Tower and, and yeah. the Blackpool Tower. So. Have you? Where do you find all these models then? Touristy shops, really. Oh, you know. oh yeah. I, never yeah. I think it's yeah. worth doing, though, because I mean, yeah. if I was somewhere and there was a, you know, a famous building or a, a building worth seeing and someone said well basically here's a little model of it it would be really helpful I think it does give, give you an idea I recommend checking out the Statue of Liberty because in real life it's so big and obviously it's got an interesting history we might have a session actually on another podcast where we shuffle models and stand the Eiffel Tower on top of Big Ben or something like that earlier you mentioned before we were recording about Sydney Opera House and I suddenly I couldn't mm. I couldn't get an image in my head at all um, but then I, I remember an image where Billy Connolly was standing on one bit of it um, so it sort of came back but uh, there's some things I can remember more than others um, yes. like with the gherkin I haven't seen the gherkin other than when we were, I went to Legoland about seven or eight years ago and they had a Lego village there mm. and it had a model of the gherkin so that I got the idea of it from that really was that a visual of, idea or were you were you touching that no no it was a visual idea yeah because yeah mm. when I was a kid I used to have a wall clock and it was the Twin Towers right New York mm. I mean that's another image that I don't have the Twin Towers and the New York uh, skyline. I sort of grew up looking at that skyline. Yeah. You know, as my yeah. clock on my bedroom wall as a child. Yeah. I think it's a good idea to do for landmarks and stuff, mm. is to have a small version of it and feel it. Um, I think the 3D version of this is, is, is good as well. Sometimes in uh, museums and public places tactile representations of things are available mm. but interpreting a two-dimensional drawing of something into how this would look as a 3D object is very difficult I don't have good enough mental kind of constructs about, to, to about, create that how about something that like is a day-to-day thing so something like a fire engine Let's mm. say that you you know every day you get one driving past with yeah, yeah. lights on and flash and siren on. Have you? It sounds a bit babyish, but you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, Have you ever oh, yeah. felt a model of, yes. for example, a fire engine? Yeah, yeah. And some of the things, of course, I have childish images of. So, fire engines as a little kid were somewhat fascinating to me or interesting anyway as you know little boys are yeah. into these sorts of things so I, I do remember what fire engines look like living in this area of course one of the, the things which visually for me 
as a child was extraordinary, but were combine harvesters. Oh, yeah, me too. And uh, my image of a combine harvester is circa 1970, really. Mm. And they were probably quite ancient ones then. <laughs> I, think they, they, I think they look pretty much the same. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think they do look pretty much the same, but they don't look the same mm. according to the models that I've seen since. Mm. So sometimes that sort of thing gets a bit skewed, I suppose, as things morph over mm. time into, should we say, modern shapes in yeah. terms of vehicles and things. But, um, yeah, you're right, you're right, because it's like... When you say that, it makes me think like cars, which are all still roughly the same, lots yeah. of them are roughly the same shape, but how a 1960s car looks and how a 1990s car looks is completely yeah, different. Yeah, okay. Some people would say they're very different, they're really different, yeah. but I mean, essentially they're not really, yeah. really different. Well, I mean, I've wondered, like, you know, because I've not been able to sort of look at a road and watch a car go by for about 15 years, so I wonder mm. even just in 15 years, you know, how much... Yeah, if well, I would, if I could suddenly see one now, I think, wow, you know, they look much more sort of futuristic now. Mm. Can't imagine they do really. They probably look more or less the same. I used yeah, to look kind of fashions, isn't there? You know what what contours and lines are in fashion. I guess is uh, mm. a lot to do with it. Here's a question then: Do you ever have the want to explore what someone's face looks like by touch? Mm, never no about 50% of the time yeah that's Mm. that's interesting (laughs) it just never occurs to me one of the things I think is that faces can look very different from an admittedly it's limited experience of touching people's faces they all feel just about the same it's difficult to discern the differences you know if someone's got a huge nose and the person whose face you touch next has a tiny nose you can say oh yeah that's different but if their noses are roughly the same size I can't tell anything I can't, I can't my my ability to measure the differences using touch is not good enough to be able to make you know, judgments on how this looks, whether it's a, a nicer look. I don't often feel people's faces, but if I mm. do, it instantly shows me pretty much what they look like. Mm. You see, that's, that's interesting. Because if someone you know, says, this person has got sort of, I don't know, shoulder-length blonde hair, picture that straight away. Um, and then if I was to fill that person's face as well, and then I, you know, I would, I would guess that I'd have a pretty spot on image of them uh, in in my head. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly a difference from how I experience things. And part of it, I suppose, is embarrassment to a degree well, I mean, because touching someone's face for me becomes a, a sort of more intimate. Um, yeah, you, connection with someone. And also, I mean, as a blind person, if you if you if you go, oh, can I touch your face? It's a bit pathetic. Well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it feels it's... a bit sort of lame to do that. But if personally, if I do do that, 
if I'm that interested, then yeah, I'll get a good, really good picture of what they look like. I mean, I suppose that may be to do with the uh, how developed your facial recognition uh, visually happened for you. I lost the ability, I think, to keep faces in my mind. I don't really remember what anyone's face looks like. Hmm. Oh, it's bound to be to do with, you know, lengths of time of, of how long you've not been able to to see or how long you have been able you know I've worked out that when I'm 53 mm. then I will have been blind longer than sighted yeah. when I'm 40 yeah so I've been sighted longer than not so yeah it's still for me pretty much a visual world yeah and whether that that changes in how you I'd say fading slightly yeah fading slightly not a lot but maybe Bit, you know. So I was interested when you were talking about uh, the decor that you're picking for your flat. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I would just have no clue on this, but, you know, what colours match with anything. People can tell me over and over again, mm-hmm. and I can remember it as long as I remember it. Yeah. But I can't work it out for myself what colour would match with what. But then there isn't any harm in just saying to someone... What colours do you reckon for this room? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't at all think that there's an issue around that. No. But it's just the ability to do it, I think, is missing from me, you know, to judge that for myself. And it is because I just don't understand it. There's an array of colours, and for, and for people who can see, there just seems to be this natural sort of thing of people mm. think, well, that one will, does go with that one. Yeah, and of course there's opinion and variation in, in all of that, and what you like and don't like for whatever reason. Going back a bit to carry on talking about exploring things by touch, what do you think about touch tours for theatre performance? Do you think they're useful? Well, straight into my head, I think the answer would come yes, because in my mind is the last thing that I went to. And we did this touch tour... Mm. And a lot of the changes that they explained in the touch tour was subtle things like the flowers changed with the seasons and there was all this subtlety in the changes in the set. Um, And somehow by going round, it it helped me get into what was going on, really. Mm. And also, the other ones I've been to was once with a pantomime when I went with the children when they were younger, and that was quite... um, it was just good fun seeing all the props, really, mm. for pantomime. I've never done a, a theatre or pantomime touch tour, but those who have done it, it seems to be quite a, a benefit for them when the actual the show starts. You know, and you've already seen what it's all about, or touched, you know, mm. what it's all about in the stage. Well, I think I've done maybe two touch tours, and... I think they helped a little bit. They're quite interesting in themselves, I think. Whether it added a great deal for me to the experience of the play, I'm not really sure it did. I think it was interesting just to be on the stage and find out how things are constructed, but I personally don't think it adds a massive amount for me. But it adds a little bit. Hmm. And I would probably do another. 
What do you feel about audio description in the television theatre? Well, that's a funny one, you know, the old audio description, because I'm in two minds about it. Again, it's this thing with, like, when you got it in films, Hmm. certainly if it's a film that I'd seen as a sighted person, who then watched it again as a non-sighted person with audio description, it drives me crazy, because I can remember it. Yeah, you've got... It's a real kind of catch-22 for me, because if it's something that I'm really enjoying, I still find it distracting, even though it's sort of helpful. Mm. I still find it kind of spoils the atmosphere of the film or whatever. Just just for me, personally. But at the same time, you think, oh, well, I might not have seen that if that hadn't said that that happened. So I'm really torn when it comes to that kind of thing. It, because my favourite thing is, is film. I mean, it's not so much with theatre. I mean, I've tried that and it says, you know, Lady Agatha is standing on one knee. And you think, well, okay. She ought to be kneeling, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if it's like a film that I'm really engrossed in, and they do do it well, and sometimes the voices are fine, but it still distracts me from getting myself into that atmosphere mm. of the film so it's a double-edged sword for me for most of my uh, film and television experience audio description has not been available and over the last few years it started to be available on some things and I have found it distracting there's a technical issue I think with audio description on television whereby when the description comes in sometimes the actual sound that is being used for you know to create the performance or the film or whatever you're watching ducks down so that you're not actually hearing yeah, the sound yeah. Of the, yeah. and I find that immensely irritating that's yeah that's one of the things that I've experienced is the each time the voice guide yeah. you as to what is happening it's obliterating what yeah. you are yeah. naturally getting from yeah. you know the, the, what the created sound and that really was. does take it just pulls you out of the yeah. atmosphere of whatever it is you, the entertainment that you're trying to be entertained by but I have found it to be helpful in uh, I think, and then it's helpful cinema. as well so it's a um, tricky one because yeah. it's both it's annoying and helpful yeah yeah <laughs> and you know I've done a few films not loads and it's good I suppose it can dominate so it's how to get that just for it to get it to get it as subtle as possible and you know the spacing in films can you get enough information yeah yeah I also found the first thing that I ever went to in Cambridge was Harry Potter 3 or 4 and actually there was so much in that that my head was about to explode because there were so many things going on. I was going into overload, really, and losing... You lose the story somewhat yeah, from yeah, the description Yeah, in, in feeling of a, like yeah. mm. drowning in description and, yeah. it feels and trying like you're, to keep you're, up with everything. You're watching it through someone else. Yeah, which I suppose you are. You are. Really. Yeah. I mean, it's a brilliant thing that it exists. It's fantastic. But... It's kind of irritating as well. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Eyeballs. Remember, you can contact us via email, podcast at 
campsite.org.uk. Leave us feedback there. We will return again very soon with episode number six. So it's goodbye from us all.